Donald Trump, arguably the unlikeliest president-elect in American political history, stunned the world Tuesday night by rolling up wins in battleground states and tapping the frustrations and anxieties of disenchanted white voters. Now he has to govern. It's anyone's guess how that will happen since Trump ran a largely policy-free campaign that was virtually devoid of specifics. One interesting storyline will be how he interacts with Tea Party conservatives in Congress who came in on a similar wave in 2010, but who aren't necessarily ideologically kindred spirits. I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by CQ Roll Call Chief Content Officer David Ellis. So, to ask the $64,000 question, how do you think Trump pivots from being a candidate to president-elect? Well, he goes from the least experienced candidate in history to probably the least prepared transition in history. Now, he has someone in charge of it. It's uh, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Uh, Mr. Christie has probably been a little distracted over the last few weeks, and he's been uh, on a very low profile on the campaign because some of his aides were uh, on trial for the uh, infamous Bridgegate uh, scandal, and they were both convicted. So... Um, how much forward planning uh, Governor Christie has done is um, uh, subject to some question, but he's got to get going on it today. Uh, what we're hearing, of course, is kind of the usual suspects. Christie himself, Rudy Giuliani, the former New York mayor, um, and just about everybody who's ever spoken for him uh, on CNN or other cable networks. So there doesn't seem to be this sort of cabinet parlor game that we usually play when a new presidency is approaching. Following the election, we heard some very conciliatory remarks from House Speaker Paul Ryan, who's had his own complicated relationship with Trump. What do you reckon is going to be this president's relationship with Ryan and others in Congress? Well, that may be one of the new Trump things we'll notice. Obviously, they had a... uh, contentious relationship during the campaign when it wasn't looking too good for uh, uh, lawmakers in the House and their re-election bids. Ryan, about six weeks ago, told them that they could cut Trump loose. That triggered off a Twitter storm between the candidate and uh, and also a great drop in Ryan's popularity amongst Trump supporters. They went from kind of not knowing who Paul Ryan was to not liking him very much because their favored candidate told them that he wasn't a good guy. I, I think that the tone is completely different. Um, I kind of stopped counting the number of times Paul Ryan today mentioned Donald Trump specifically by name in his remarks. Um, and remember, Trump is not the details guy. Mm. He's the big picture. Paul Ryan has built a career on having a persona as the details guy. So it may well be that whatever the contretemps of the past They both need each other and, in fact, complement each other. Another key player during this transition period is going to be Mike Pence, Trump's vice presidential, um, his his, uh, basically ticket mate, uh, Indiana governor, a former longtime House member who sort of speaks the language of of Congress. Uh, Could he emerge as the Trump whisperer here? I think that's inevitable, and it's necessary. It's necessary for the country. It's necessary for... Uh, Donald Trump's success, uh, maybe in reverse order. It's <laughs> it's necessary for Donald Trump's success and necessary for the country. Uh, Pence has a very good relationship as a former member of the House with uh, key figures. He campaigned 
with Ryan. They were not – Ryan had no problem being seen with him. They were together on the last weekend before the vote. And I, I would see that uh, Mike Pence will essentially be the legislative uh, strategist for the Trump administration. We and I'm sure many others were fairly amazed on election night when the supposedly uh, bulletproof Democratic machine stumbled in Florida. Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Ohio, Michigan, all these key battlegrounds. What happened here? Were they just not as good as build? Were the Republicans better? You know, uh, talking to Democrats today, the scary thing is you hear the phrase, I don't know, repeatedly. Um, I've even checked with our reporters. Every phone call we're making is, we don't know. As the votes closed in Ohio last night, we heard from our esteemed colleague, the columnist Walter Shapiro, that he was hearing that the ground game in Ohio was strong for Clinton. She would take the state by about 100,000 votes. Um, I knew people who were actually in that uh, operation. They were feeling very confident yesterday afternoon. And yet she lost Ohio. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't an outrider. That's the thing. The, the, all the swing states broke in the wrong way for her. And so there's got to be a real reckoning as to what went wrong. Was it a bad ground game, a non-existent ground game? Was it a surge of voters who may or may not come back out to Trump that basically deleted the ground game? But something went badly wrong, and it went badly wrong in a lot of states. A lot of questions, of course, on polling, both uh, partisan pollsters within the party and and uh, more, more objective ones, shall we say, whether they're getting enough of a response rate nowadays when they're calling landline phones to get a statistically significant sample, uh, whether they're really uh, doing an effective job of identifying likely voters. That's true. And I, I would suggest there's also another factor we may wind up talking about in the weeks ahead. Now, back in the 80s, uh, the Los Angeles Mayor Tom Bradley, who was African-American, ran for governor. And it looked like he was going to make it. And then the uh, polls turned out on Election Day uh, not to be in his favor. That led to a maxim in the uh, polling world of the Bradley effect, which is that voters, when you talk to them, in some ways know the answer they're supposed to provide when it's this issue of whether they, they took the question as to whether you were willing to vote for Tom Bradley as whether you were racially open, or whether you had the right attitude on race relations. We may have had the reverse Bradley effect here, which were that people understood after weeks and weeks and weeks of ne negative advertising on Donald Trump, possibly arguments with their family members and colleagues at work, that it was probably the right answer to say you weren't voting for Trump. I wouldn't be surprised if some pollsters begin to talk about that that was a big factor, that you weren't willing to tell a stranger who called you on the phone that you were voting for Trump, but in the voting booth you were very happy to vote for him. Be very interesting to see among these uh, shy Trump voters how many were college-educated women. That's one of the storylines, and there were some interesting snippets in the exit polling last night. There was, and this is again the de the defiance of what the word on the street was, and the word on the street used to track very well with the statistical analysis at the end. Uh, yesterday afternoon, we were talking about where were these secret voters. We'd already had this supposed Latino surge. The voting numbers were high in many states, and what you were hearing was that there might have been a secret Clinton vote, Republican women voting for Clinton or not voting for Trump and going down the ballot. There's no evidence of that.
based on the vote. Back to the Democrats. They've lost the Supreme Court. Uh, Trump may appoint two, three, maybe more justices, and I suspect Democrats could take a page out of the Senate Republican playbook and obstruct those nominations, uh, just like we saw Mitch McConnell do with President Obama's nominee, Merrick Garland. Uh, you've noted that Democrats don't really have a proclivity for that. No, they want government to work by and large if you want to talk about them at a 30,000 uh, feet um, view. Uh, I, I think that you would make the argument if you wanted to be hard politic about it that there was no penalty electorally for Republican obstructionism. So you could make the argument as a Democratic strategist or a Democratic lawmaker in a leadership that it's got to be burning down the House. Now, early indications in this look like the Democrats are going to do what their leaders, their vanquished uh, candidate Hillary Clinton and their president Barack Obama said today, which is give Trump a chance to lead. Nancy Pelosi, who's future as a leader in the Democratic Party is at the moment, as we're taping this under some question, uh, has said early on that uh, that she indicates that there would be some meeting of the minds, possibly on infrastructure investment, which the country needs and would affect positively just about every congressional district. So the initial signal is, and if not kumbaya, let's cooperate, give him a chance and find common ground. That doesn't necessarily set you up for a good two or three years of blocking Supreme Court justices. CQ Roll Call Chief Content Officer David Ellis on lessons and storylines in the aftermath of Donald Trump's stunning election night victory. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find all of our podcasts at rollcall.com forward slash podcasts. Have a good week.